The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Up one day, down the next. A Tuesday turnaround taking shape. Futures, they're sharply lower. Snap, pop, shares of the social company losing a quarter of their value right now. What's gone wrong at Snapchat ahead? Also happening now, Zoom trying to claw back some of its major declines with an upbeat outlook. Plus, an unprecedented price spike when it comes to the housing market. In RBI, you've got to see the CEO of Coldwell Banker is here to weigh in. Later, we go live to Davos for a one-on-one interview with New York Stock Exchange President Lynn Martin. It's all happening on this Tuesday, May 24th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us here on a very busy Tuesday. And as always, let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. Stock futures, they are significantly lower across the board. We had a beautiful day yesterday in terms of the long side. Markets popping some of the best days this year, but not right now. In fact, look at the NASDAQ futures. Dow futures down, what, 300 and some points, but NASDAQ futures are down nearly 2%, which, by the way, if that holds throughout the day, it would pretty much wipe out all we gained on Monday. And of course, speaking of Monday, we had a nice gain across the board, probably driven mostly by the China stimulus comments, probably some short covering thrown in there in a well. We'll talk to Katie Stockton about just that in a moment. But even with yesterday's gain, the Nasdaq is still down 10% in just 30 days, one of the worst runs we have seen in a long time. In the bond market, bond yields are actually coming back down. They are back below 2.8% right now. But energy and oil really is where it remains. And natural gas kind of quickly becoming the story in energy. I know we talk a lot about oil and gasoline, and that all matters. But the price of natural gas is ticking up back toward 9 bucks. And in all, natural gas is up exactly, as of this morning, 200% from this same day last year. That is inevitably going to hit your power costs, as well as the cost of the industrial sector, plastics, chemicals, tires. Everything is made from natural gas, spectacularly inflationary. In the oil market, crude down just a touch, off 52 cents to just under 110. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether fairly calm right now. Bitcoin just above 29,000. All the major coins are down, but just only a fraction. Meantime, around the world, red arrows across the board in Asia, mainland China and Hong Kong markets, they fell, in fact, not helped by their own stimulus news, which some people said was the reason we rose yesterday. Go figure. Tech stocks getting hit particularly hard there as well. The tech index falling more than 4%. Alibaba down 2%. Tencent down nearly about 3%. Europe, by the way, kicking things off. You can see the trend here, folks. I'm sorry. Pretty much red across the board. Spin that giant globe that we're all floating on in this universe, and pretty much any of the major markets are going to be in the red this morning. All right, now let's move on and get some of this morning's top corporate headlines that are happening right now, including 
An incredible drop in shares of Snapchat. Savannah Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, shares of Snap sinking more than 25 percent ahead of the open after CEO Evan Spiegel warned in a note to employees the company will miss its own targets for revenue and adjusted earnings in the current quarter. Spiegel says Snap will also slow hiring through the end of the year as it looks to manage expenses. Snap issued its last outlook less than five weeks ago, which was already at the low end of the expected range. The SEC is getting set to crack down on misleading and over-exaggerated ESG claims for certain investment products, according to the Financial Times. The upcoming rules are reportedly expected to require information about how ESG funds are marketed, how ESG incorporated into investing, and how these funds vote at companies' annual meetings. The sustainable funds industry has boomed to almost $3 trillion in recent years. And SpaceX president and COO Gwen Shotwell is defending Elon Musk amid the recent report on sexual harassment claims. In an email to employees seen by CNBC, quote, Personally, I believe the allegations to be false, not because I work for Elon, but because I have worked closely with him for 20 years and never seen nor heard anything resembling these allegations. Musk has denied the allegations, which claim he propositioned a flight attendant on one of SpaceX private jets in 2016, Brian. All right, Savannah, now with that, we'll see you back in a few minutes. Savannah, thank you very much. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money. It's probably why you're here. And after Monday's rave rebound, it's looking like it will not stick around. In fact, the Dow's ongoing losing streak now at eight straight weeks coming into Monday. Eight straight weeks down in the Dow is something that has not happened in 99 years. The last time the Dow fell eight weeks in a row was back in 1923 when old Warren G. Harding was president. Let's see if better days are ahead and bring in Vance Howard, CEO of Howard Capital Management. And Vance, I had the under on Warren G. Harding references this morning, so I'm already out of the money. I mean, listen, it has been a tough run so far this year, but context is key. We have had a heck of a run off the pandemic lows, I would guess most people are still well in the money if they bought and hold. And my guess is the markets are going to be higher five years from now. But it is a scary time right now. Yeah, we're breaking records, Brian, but in the wrong way. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it is yeah. a very scary market. There's a lot of negativity. If you're afraid to go to bed at night, because you don't know what you're going to wake up to in the morning. But I am an optimist like you, Brian. We're sitting on, uh, you know, the ACM byline went negative the first part of this year. So we're sitting on about half cash at our firm. By the $5.5 billion I trade, I'm sitting on about $2.3 billion in cash. So we're sitting here with our – it used to be we were getting a laundry list of uh, stocks we wanted to buy. Now it's a scroll. <laughs> it just keeps getting bigger every day. But, you know, I would be optimistic, and you're absolutely correct. There's some stocks like Salesforce, and you look at NVIDIA and other things like this. You bought them today, even if the market continues to drop, you know, two, three years from now, I think you'd be incredibly happy. But I would be patient. I I wouldn't be buying today, that's for sure. Well, oh, you're not. You would not be buying today. So that means, obviously, you're in the more downside to come camp. Sounds like. I, I, well, I think there's more pain here to come. I don't, I, I'm just not – until the trend changes and the trend's clearly down, the HC on byline's cr- clearly negative, we don't ever buck that at all. That, it, it, it may go lower, it may not, but we wait till it turns back up and it gives us a clear signal that the buyers are coming back into this market. And they're not there They're not there this morning, that's for sure. You know, you go to bed every night here over the past six months and you, <laughs> you're kind of afraid to wake up in the morning to what you're going to see. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, don't joke. I actually ran into a psychologist friend of mine at the grocery store yesterday, and she was saying that she's seeing more patients because of inflation and now economic worry. I mean, if we haven't had enough to layer on the last two and a half years, unbelievable. But listen, markets go up over time. I understand there's a lot of new investors who came into the market, whether it's just with stimulus checks or out of boredom, whatever. Things were great. Fed dropping money from the sky. Everything, everything went up, Vance. So there's a new generation of investors who haven't felt this kind of pain. You've seen it. I've seen it. Give us some words of comfort. You know, what is it? 77% of the time stocks do go up, but this market can be, it can last for a year or two, right? Bad. I'm not saying it will, but it can. Oh, it can go on for three. You saw it go on from 2000 to 2002. When we traded through that, it went on through three years, and it was just a slow, nasty, grinding market. But when everybody came out of it, there was so much money to be made. If you're sitting on so good amount of capital like we are right now, you ought to be more optimistic than pessimistic, because if you bought like Salesforce this morning and it just got back to where it was at, doesn't he ever need to make a new, 52, a new high just to where it was at? You doubled your money. That's 100% return. This is creating a tremendous amount of opportunity to those who can control their emotions and they can trade what actually is happening. The trend's down. Be patient. Wait till the trend changes. And then you just need to start. He's still frozen. Vance Howard, that's, I mean, that interview is so emblematic of the stock market this year. Everything is going great coming into January 1st. And then the whole thing freezes up. Vance Howard, if you can hear us, thank you very much. Howard Capital Management. By the way, he also liked uh, NVIDIA and a few of the other semiconductor names, as well as Salesforce.com. Vance, thank you. Hopefully that's not like just some sign of bigger things to come. Anyway, when we come back, we have got a live interview from Davos with New York Stock Exchange President Lynn Martin. We'll talk about these markets, market structure, IPOs, everything, plus a CNBC exclusive. We are rolling out a new supply chain heat map where the world's trouble spots are still right now. Later on, much more on Snap. Those shares down 28% right now. Ouch. Futures also down. I'm sorry. The sun is coming up. Grab a cup of coffee. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Uh, welcome back and good morning. Well, based on futures right now, stocks are set to erase at least part, if maybe not all, on the tech side of Monday's market gains at the open. We are seeing NASDAQ futures down almost 2%, Dow futures off over 300. Despite a decent day yesterday for much of the market, the S&P 500 is still down more than 
And that is just from its record high set on January 3rd. And here's a stat from our friend Ryan Dietrich at LPL Financial. Since World War II, there have been 12 formal bear markets for the S&P 500, meaning down more than 20%, and a total of 17 if you include so-called near-bear markets, when the index fell by about 19%. Dietrich notes, of those, the average drop was roughly 30%, and they lasted an average of 11 months. But we also do know that over the long haul, stocks do tend to go up in the long run. So let's have a little optimism this morning and talk about the state of the markets, volatility, IPOs, and more. Joining us now for the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, is Lynn Martin, president of the New York Stock Exchange. Lynn, it looks like a beautiful day there. You got Edelweiss. The hills are alive with the sound of IPOs, maybe down the road. Uh, you've, seen the, you've seen this movie before. It's a I tough run. Optimism. People are nervous. I'm, listen, I'm trying. Nobody wants to wake up at 530 in the morning and be told everything's coming to an end. I mean, the markets will climb out of this. You've seen this before. What are you seeing? Is there a, is there a sense of sort of confidence or optimism you can provide from your perch? Yeah, you know, I think the stat that you just posted, when there has been a decline, this is not the first time we've seen this. And the market strongly rebounds 12 months after the decline. Um, we've been through this multiple times in history, and this doesn't feel as pronounced as some of the more pronounced issues we've had, such as the financial crisis. I think your last guest was talking more about the 2000-2002 challenges we had in the market, and that may be a little bit more what it feels like, as opposed to the doom and gloom that everyone uh, that everyone is forecasting. But I, it's understandable. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. Buyers are trying to figure out when to re-enter the market, and sellers are trying to figure out, you know, where, where the bottom is. So I completely understand, you know, some of the sentiment. But we've been here before. We will get through it. And the important thing to know is to stay in the markets for the long term because they do rebound. We've been through this many times in the past. Yeah, although I will, and I'll flip my own script, Lynn, which is to say that inflation hasn't been that bad, this bad in 40 years. You've got a Federal Reserve that may have uh, screwed it up, for, for, lack of, for lack of a better term. And, of course, you've got you know, national debt at record high. So there are reasons to be concerned. But when you're looking at your business at the New York Stock Exchange, you're in capital markets, you're the advance indicator, right? Mm -hmm. If companies say we're going to go public, that means they're confident in the public markets. Are you yep. seeing indications that there will be IPOs to come? You know, we are continuing to see a strong pipeline. We have seen some companies go, particularly in the energy sector, which has had amazing returns um, this year. We've actually had three companies go recently that are focused on clean energy, sustainable energy, sustainable, um, sustainable finance. So, and they're seeing really good performance. Behind that, though, we have a tremendous amount of backlog. Companies, their demand for to go public, the demand for the public markets is there. The demand to raise capital is there. They're just trying to figure out the timing. They're trying to figure out when the volatility starts to subside. And what does that mean for them raising capital? Is it follow the initial plans that they have? Or do maybe they, they go with a slightly smaller round and then come back to the public markets? But the demand is very much there to enter the public markets, hopefully soon. 
It's been all about, obviously, technology, SPACs, and, and other things for the last, I don't know, three to five years, Lynn. You're talking about energy. Energy was just down to, you know, 4.5% of the S&P 500. Is there enough of an energy pipeline, solar, wind, traditional oil and gas, clean energy, whatever, battery companies? Is there enough of an energy company pipeline left to make up for any drop off and anything like the latest social media startup? Well, I think the most important thing that you're seeing is innovation. You're seeing that across multiple sectors. You're always going to see innovation in different sectors. You are seeing it very much right now in the in the energy companies. You know, we just welcomed New Scale Power to the NYSE. We welcomed Accelerate Energy last month. Um, so, we, you know, we're seeing innovative companies that are solving challenges associated with the energy markets. But importantly, you're seeing a lot of our listed companies, our existing listed companies that are your more traditional uh, energy companies really focused on the clean energy transition. And they've made a tremendous strides, especially when you look at Chevron, ExxonMobil, Occidental and, and their focus. Yeah. So I think it's important to not just, you know, focus on one particular sector, though, because you see a tremendous amount of innovation. And that's really what's driving our our pipeline are are all the different sectors. New scale, small modular nuclear reactor company, Accelerate, actually a floating Mm -hmm. LNG company. We had them on the show very quickly, Lynn. Yep. In five or 10 years, can we still walk down to the corner of Wall and Broad and go in and, and see your folks and Grab a cup of coffee. Is there still going to be the physical building there? I talked to a guy at the Milken Conference about a month ago who said, no, the NYC is going to go away. They've been saying that for a while, though. They've been saying that maybe for 230 years. We just celebrated our 230th anniversary on May 17th of this year. You know, in my opinion, the most tech-forward markets really focus on technology and coupling that with human judgment. And that is 100% what our floor does. It leverages technology. If you look at our systems, they're right now processing half a trillion incoming order messages per day. That's buys, sells, trade information. The only way that you get a good outcome, though, a smooth outcome, something that dampens volatility, is to have that human overlay Mm -hmm. to help you make sense of the data that's going through the market. And yeah. when I think about, you know, the role that our floor brokers uh, provide to the market, their DMMs provide to the market, they really dampen volatility. It's why NYSE listed stocks have seen two times less volatility at the open, three times less volatility at the close this year. It's really helping dampen volatility. And our market model has never been more applicable than it is in today's markets. Humans matter. We like it. Lynn Martin, president of the New York Stock Exchange. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your conference. Safe travels. Look forward to seeing you at Corner Wall and Broad in person. Lynn, thank you. Can't All wait right, to see you deck. in the building. Hey, never Take before. care. Uh, you'll, you can't miss me. All right, Lynn, thank you very much. All right, still on deck. A never-before-seen price spike in the housing market that maybe will make your RBI today random but a little scary. you got to see this. And Coldwell Banker CEO Ryan Gorman is here to weigh in on it. Stick around. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Today's big number. $59.3 billion. That's how much the container shipping industry earned during the first quarter of the year, according to the Macon Container Results Observer Report, the most on record, making it the sixth consecutive quarter of record profits. All right, welcome back. Before the pandemic and the lockdowns, we're willing to bet that supply chains were something that almost none of you probably ever thought much about, unless, of course, you work in logistics. You probably just took for granted that whatever you wanted would be wherever you wanted at the time you wanted it. Not anymore. That's one of the biggest challenges facing companies around the world. To help investors in the markets better understand the state of the supply chain right now, We have created a supply chain heat map using data from the world's top maritime and logistics resources. So how does it all work? CBC's senior editor, Lorianne LaRocco, put it together. It's her brainchild, and she joins us now with more. All right, so the first question, Lorianne, I've got about your supply chain heat map is what is the supply chain heat map? (laughs) Well, thanks for asking. We've got, this is an amazing moment for logistics history. We have 11 data providers from logistics, maritime, freight, rail, all around the world. And all the data is being algamated, if you will, measuring vessel availability, vessel dwell time, the wait time for the import and export containers, the port productivity and the trucks and the rails. This has never been done before. And we are so excited to show you today. All right, so that's that's the entrance. Now you got to live up to it. So let's give it. First off, we have to talk about China, Lorianne, because when I look at some of these these gra- you and I share these graphics, it's like all I see is a blob of ships. How is China doing right now? Well, with the China supply chain heat map, you are seeing in real time color coded of what is going on. This is real time data that we are showing you. And so, first off, you will see. We know that, of course, that China has had problems with zero COVID. Shanghai, as you can see, the trucks are the problem. You have a lack of manpower moving the product from the warehouses to the ports. Then you're looking at Ningbo and Kinjiao. You're like, well, why are they red? I haven't heard about them in the news. Well, the reason why you need to know about this is because it's hard to find containers. And if you can't find containers, that means you can't get your imports in here. Now, look at the yellow. The the yellow might have your interest peaked. The yellow is showing you the undercurrents that are impacting trade and slowing things down. In Yantian, the reason why it's yellow is because there was a tugboat collision uh, where now 13 various Aha. terminals, yes, 13 terminals within Yantian are being impacted. And so disruption is being impacted. And so that, my friends, is the state of trade as we're looking at in, in uh, China. It's amazing. And I'm looking at that. First off, I, I know most of these. I see Yen Tian looking at that. I see Ho Chi Minh City on this. 
Uh, it's amazing that, uh, Lorianne, we were down in the port of Charleston with our good friends Jim Newsom and crew down there talking about the shortage of containers like a year and a half ago, and we're still here having a problem. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, that's China. Can you give us an indication of what's going on here in the United States? Because actually today I'm flying to Davenport, Iowa, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the Mississippi River and hopefully get on one of your aforementioned and beloved tugboats. <laughs> hopefully it stays safe. So let's talk about yeah. let's talk about the United States. So it's a little bit different here because we're looking at the imports. So you have import. We're looking at the import wait time, which is very, very important. The big story here, which, again, has really not been in the news and mainstream media, is Oakland. Look at that sea of red. And the reason why is because it's taking very, very long for the vessels to get into port very long for the rails to work. And then look at L.A. Of course, we know L.A. is a problem. And the big problem there is the lack of rail cars to pick up those uh, containers to get into the Midland. But all of this, of course, this mm. impacts New York and New Jersey. See what's going on in there. When you're looking at anchorages, that's increasing a slight because of the um, because of the the demand, if you will, of containers yeah. moving to the East Coast. But then you look at Savannah and the aforementioned Charleston, they're, they're all green, green, green. I mean, that's kind of been the story as we understand it. A lot of people are going from the West Coast are saying, I'm not going to deal with it. There's, by the way, the threat of a strike. The longshoremen's in Southern California, they could go on strike June 30th. I think it's when their contract ends. If that happens, all bets about everything are off. Just game over, I think, at that point. But this, the West Coast has been a big boon to the East Coast. Right, Lorianne? Quickly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to see continued increases of uh, containers as we speak. Lorianne LaRocco with the new heat map. An amazing moment in logistics history. Lorianne, we love it. It's great stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. All right. Straight ahead. She's, she's going to license that and sell it make some money. All right. Straight ahead. Is there any sign of a bottom coming for the stock market? Fair leads Katie Stockton this year. She's looking at the charts to tell you what she sees. Stick around. Buckle up. Could be another volatile day ahead. Monday's melt up, melting back down right now. Futures are lower across the board. Two very different tech tales. Zoom shares popping, but Snap just popped over a new warning from its CEO dragging other online ad companies with it. And are you thinking of buying a home? Your morning RBI will hit real estate and how much the average payment has gone up. You've got to see this, and you will, on this Tuesday, May 24th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, and good Tuesday morning, just about 5.30 in the morning here on the East Coast. And here's how the markets and your money look right now, and you might want to look away because they are in the red. We're seeing declines across the board. Dow futures down, what, about 300 points exactly, but the NASDAQ on a percentage basis, if that holds, and again, it's early, there's a long way to go, but if these returns hold, we're down about, I don't know, 1.9%, that's going to wipe out everything and maybe a little more than we gained on Monday. The NASDAQ is down, what, 10% in just 30 days, one of the worst runs that we have had in years, if not decades. With that happening, bonds are actually getting bought. The market is acting fairly rationally. And when bonds get bought, yields come down. And they are down below 2.8%, although, of course, they are way up from one year ago. That is impacting mortgages, by the way, that recent run up in a very big way. And coming up in your RBI, we've got some stats on mortgage costs and real estates. And I promise, they, they may not blow your mind, but your head might start smoking. We'll, we'll say that. You're going to hear them coming up in a few minutes. 
All right, now to this morning's big money movers, and the biggest one of all is Snap. It is sinking in the pre-market, down nearly 30%. CEO Evan Spiegel warning the company will miss its own targets for revenue and adjusted earnings for the current quarter. Spiegel adding Snap will slow hiring as well through the end of the year as it looks to manage expenses. By the way, Snap shares have now completed an entire pandemic round trip. They are back to where they were before the pandemic hit. They went from 15 to 72, and now they're back to 15. Truly incredible. Now, that ripple effect across the entire online ad sector, you got Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, to a lesser extent, Alphabet and Trade Desk, lower ahead of the open. In fact, uh, look at Pinterest, down more than 11%. Ouch. Now, on the other side of it, it's not all doom and gloom. There's Zoom. See what I did there? Zoom video popping as well this morning, but in the up direction, not a lot. It's up about 6.5%, but it's not down 30%. Zoom posted better than expected first quarter numbers, and their outlook also fairly positive. Zoom video, though, small comfort, down 70% in the past year. All right, joining us now on the CNBC Newsline is Jeffrey's Managing Director and U.S. Tech Sector Specialist, Jared Weisfeld. Jared, it's good to chat with you again. I mean, what the heck? I, don't, I just don't listen. I get it. The snap numbers weren't good. The outlook wasn't great. Talk about hiring, but you know, we did a segment on market structure last week. And when I look at a stock like this down 30% in a in, in a matter of hours, it's something that's it's weird. Yeah, good morning, Brian. Uh, the uh, weird is a uh, it's an understatement, and the the single name stock volatility that we're seeing here over the last uh, over the last few months is. Uh, it's it's pretty epic anyway you slice it. I mean, listen, the, the the rate of deceleration in Snap's core business is it's pretty shocking. I mean, put things in perspective. Snap just guided about four weeks ago, to, so to have this kind of deceleration in just a four week period is pretty significant. I mean, if we take a step back, you know, last night Snap talked about the macroeconomic environment deteriorating even further and faster than anticipated. And when, what, what's, what's super interesting is that when you, when you look at the, the construct of their guidance for the June quarter, they guided revenues to grow 20 to 25% year on year. But what's more important is that through April 21st, which was the day they guided earnings, um, or the, the day they reported earnings, revenue grow, was actually growing 30% year on year. So for SNAP to come in below the low end of that guide, May and June are growing just 10 yeah. to 15% year on year. So it's a, the growth rate's collapsing by just 50% in less than 30 days. I, well, okay. So there's two ways to look at it. The fact that in 30 days' time, they went from guiding one thing to missing the guidance they just gave four weeks ago, which means they've got not a lot of visibility into their business. But they are still growing. Right, Jared? I mean, you said the growth rate is slowing. They're not contracting. There is still growth, and yet the stock is losing one-third of its value right now. Yeah, but, I mean, so, you know, for, for Snap, you know, you're, as an investment case, you're, you're underwriting the, they are exposed to the best demographic from an advertiser's perspective, just given that, you know, that 18 to 34-year-old cohort. So they're expected to be growing. Um, so, but you know, it, it's all about rate of change. So, to be growing from thirty percent to just an exit rate of ten percent by the end of the quarter, the stock was was certainly priced for something significantly north of that. To help put in perspective, you know, Snap was trading at a high single digit multiple of revenues. You've got Facebook Meta, which was trading at seven times uh, seven times EBITDA. So, I think there, you know, at, at, at this point, it's shoot first, ask questions later. 
and we don't have a ton of information on what really is driving that core deterioration in the business. And it's just even more perplexing because if you look at uh, earnings reports over the last week or so, including from a competitor or, you know, maybe not necessarily a competitor, but someone in the online ad ecosystem like the trade desk, TTD, TTD uh, reported about 13 days ago, they beat the quarter and they got it in line. So I think there are, there are a lot of questions on what actually is happening, happening within the online ad ecosystem. And we're not, we don't have a ton of color from Snap. Is it, is it competition? Is it Apple privacy? Is it all macro? Mm. So there are more questions than answers, unfortunately, this morning, which is why yeah. I think you're seeing the yeah, overreaction and, 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 up and well, let's let's see if it is an overreaction. I mean, right now you got Pinterest down 13%. Obviously, to your point, Jared, to sort of sell now and, and ask questions later, we shall see Snap down 30% right now. Jared Weisfeld and Jeffries, really appreciate your time, Jared. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Could be tough. The entire, think about that. In four weeks, their business sort of visibility vanished. Wow. All right. Coming up, your morning RBI and some rather eh, scary new data on the cost of buying a home. The CEO of Coldwell Banker is here. We'll get his insight into what is still a hot market. But as we head to break, a couple other headlines that are happening right now. TaskRabbit announcing it will be closing its offices, including its San Francisco headquarters, and moving to an entirely remote model. The online worker for hire company, the latest transition away from traditional office setups. Airbnb closing its domestic business in China. All mainland listings will be taken down starting in late July. Sources tell us the move stems from the segment already being costly and complex to operate before these COVID restrictions. And Amazon shareholders are set to challenge the company on executive pay, tax transparency, and working conditions. According to the Financial Times, Amazon is set to oppose all 15 of the shareholder proposals being presented, or rather shareholders are. This marks the first time for Andy Jassy as a CEO with a shareholder vote. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, time now to get random but interesting. Today's RBI is about real estate. Today, maybe we should call it random but a little scary because there's some new research out that paints a pretty amazing picture around buying a home. And we don't mean amazing like, oh, wow, that's amazing kind of thing, but more like, wow, that's shockingly amazing because real estate firm Redfin just put out some new data around the cost of buying a home as interest rates spike, and it's pretty bonkers. All right, you sitting down? Here you go. Redfin found that because interest rates and mortgages are soaring, but home prices haven't come down, the monthly cost of a mortgage, on average, is up 43% from last year. Not 4.3%. Like Richard Petty, 43% from just under $1,750 a month, on average last year, to nearly $2,500 for the average monthly mortgage payment right now. There has never, according to Redfin, been a jump like that. And they actually call the surge in their report, quote, unprecedented. Of course, this is also hitting at the same time the price of everything else is going up. Higher prices, higher rates, and higher payments. But I guess here's what's really random but interesting. So far, it hasn't really hit housing. Home sales may be cooling off a little bit in some areas, but are still very strong nationally. And Redfin notes that 57% of homes sold, sold above the asking price recently, with only 4% of listings actually having to drop their price. Now, real estate is a far bigger and far more important part of our economy than the stock market. No disrespect, but it is. It's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. So it is going to be very interesting to watch it going forward, to see if any cracks start to show 
or if home buyers can indeed weather both higher borrowing costs and higher prices. Maybe it's the most important economic question of the year. Random and hopefully interesting. All right, let's talk more now about that and bring in Ryan Gorman. He is the CEO of Coldwell Banker, also the president of that firm. Ryan, uh, thanks for joining us. I mean, the numbers from Redfin, uh, they're big. Maybe your numbers might be slightly different, but those are unbelievable. What's your take? Certainly rates are up, and that's a lot of what everyone's reacting to. And rates are up on purpose, right? The Fed is actually trying to cool down inflation across the economy. As you just mentioned, housing is an enormous part of the economy, and pushing those rates up can certainly have a negative impact. I've got to tell you, though, what we've seen, because there's such a supply and demand imbalance here, we just have not constructed enough homes since the Great Recession to meet the demand out there. We've seen buyers reacting and absorbing as quickly as rates have increased, right? So buyers are adjusting their expectations a bit, perhaps downsizing, maybe moving a little bit farther out, changing their shopping patterns a bit, but we're still seeing the velocity of homes extremely rapid. So approximately 17 days on average, homes are staying on the market, which is a pretty good indicator that buyer demand remains very strong. What's the normal? 17 sounds quick, Ryan, but I don't know what the benchmark for that might have been, you know, a couple of years ago. 17 is quick. So to put that into some context for you, 17 days on market makes it feel to most buyers like they have to move immediately as soon as a listing comes on. More normalized would be, call it somewhere between 35 and 45 days on market, where it feels like you still need to move quickly, but you probably have more than one weekend to see a property before you need to make a decision. Today, that's not the case in most markets. Buyers need to be qualified, feel very confident in shopping, and be able to move very quickly when a home comes on the market, and they're feeling it. Yeah, I mean, listen, higher, high, there's two ways to look at rates. Rates are well up from where they were, but they were on almost right. impossible and, and, and I will, I'll dare say artificial lows, right? I mean, I think you would agree with that. Given the pandemic, interest rates going to like a half a percent, the Fed at zero, throwing money from the sky. Rates are up, but I remember when 5% was a good number on mortgages. Absolutely. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. Absolutely. You're putting it in a historical context, which is terrific. I appreciate that. If you look at the longer arc of history, even the past 10, 15, 20 years for most of us in, in the most recent time that we purchased, 5 6% feels like a relatively normalized rate to be able to be paying for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. And, of course, there are some alternative products. You're at 45 right now for maybe a 15-year. You've got some interest-only products coming back into vogue. But it feels like a roughly similar rate to what people have gotten used to. And I, and I do think, while it is shocking how quickly it has increased, buyers have readjusted to that. And folks like yourself are reminding people, this is actually historically a reasonably decent rate to be able to borrow long-term money for an appreciating asset. Yeah. I mean, also, this is unbelievable. A local friend who's a realtor in my in my area said that about a third to a half of all the transaction he's seeing are cash. I mean, there's no cheap sure. homes in the state of New Jersey, right? Are you still seeing these huge cash buyers come in? Because they guess what? Mortgage rates go up. They're the honey badger. They don't care. Yeah, absolutely. So, so cash buyers are still a very significant part of the overall picture. So when we're seeing homes stay on the market on an average, like we talked about, 17 days, and, and we're seeing an extremely competitive market out there, how some buyers are differentiating themselves is putting a higher percentage of cash down or becoming an all-cash buyer and perhaps financing it after the close or at least not making it a financing contingency to make themselves as competitive as possible. For instance, we even have a, a product through our RealShore partnership that can make you look like a cash buyer in the markets where it operates today by essentially backstopping it and allowing you to not have a financing contingency. Again, to make buyers as competitive as possible. 
as rates take how do you, off, I Ryan, don't quickly, how do you look? How, I'd like to look like a cash buyer. What are you borrowing against your other assets like stocks? So you're not bar, you're not no. putting a lien on the home. You're borrowing against other assets that you have to get a cheaper rate. No. So with the real short product, for instance, we're backing a cash buyer. We essentially underwrite the buyer as well as underwrite the property, and we take the risk of something coming up, for instance, in the uh, the appraisal, and and uh, we just absorb that risk so the buyer doesn't have to. We're pretty confident in our ability to underwrite the properties as well as the buyer, oh. so we don't think it's a whole lot of risk to take, and it allows buyers to look much stronger out there in the marketplace, eliminating the appraisal and financing contingencies so they can hopefully okay. win in a competitive environment. And it is still competitive. We'll see Ryan Gorman, CEO of Coal Banker, with a little historical perspective as well. Ryan, we appreciate you getting up early and coming on. Thanks very much. Have a great day. Take care. All right, on deck. Sorry to say, maybe another rough trading day taking shape. But Fairleaf's Katie Stockton is here laying out the signal she's seeing. And if there is some kind of a near-term bottom or pop ahead in these markets. And during May, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage as we head to break. Here's Jeffrey's Managing Director, Michael Yee. Well, I'm proud of the millions of Asian immigrants, including my family, who have come to this country and contributed to the culture of success and have enriched the fabric of what makes this country special. Ultimately, I'm proud to be Asian. And while there is certainly more work to be done for AAPI in this country, it's an honorary part of a heritage that has contributed to technological, scientific, and biotechnology breakthroughs that hopefully will make a better future and a better humanity for all generations ahead. All right, welcome back. It's going to be another busy day ahead for all you investors out there. We get the April new home sales figures at 10 a.m. We just talked about real estate. Then Fed Chair Jay Powell speaking at the Reservation Economic Summit just after noon and some retail earnings to watch before the bell, including Best Buy, Abercrombie & Fitch, and AutoZone. Those could be big, a real tell on the consumer. All right, futures, though, they're telling us that the markets are likely to slide, maybe wipe out most, if not all, of what we gained yesterday. The market's been all over the place, but a clear downtrend has emerged. When will that end? Let's find out. Fairlead Strategies founder and managing partner Katie Stockton uh, is joining us now. And Katie, uh, you and I, and uh, you know, this is, we'll call it wisdom, not age. We have seen many of these market runs. We've seen two year down cycles. We've seen a couple month headaches, hiccups, right? In 2020, when the pandemic and the lockdown hits, does this downturn to you look more like a 2001, 2003 painful slow grind down? Or a March 2020 painful quick time within a nice pop? I would say probably the former, just in that the indicators oh. look almost as bad as the sort of 2008 period, the 2000 period. And there is actually some comparison to 2015-16 as well. So it really is worse than the COVID corrective phase, certainly. And you can feel that in its character. It's been, as you mentioned, a bit more of a slow grind lower where each up day seems to be met with an equal or worse down day. And I think we're seeing more of the same right now. Yeah, okay. Well, I was hoping you kind of wouldn't say that because you know, obviously 2001 to 2002 was a was a basically a multi-year or at least two-year bear market. The average bear market last thing we had in the early in the show, you know, 11 months and, and you dropped 30%. Anything that looks like that could be the case to you? Any positive technical signs you're seeing, Katie? Well, I do think that this is a cyclical bear in the secular bull. So the bull trend, very long term, is still very much intact. And yet there's still a lot of room to secondary support levels 
For the S&P 500, there's some very good Fibonacci-based support of roughly 38.15. That would be an excellent level to see hold. I suspect that after a little stabilization here, it will be broken, however. And that, of course, would increase downside risk to secondary support, 3,500, tertiary support, 3,200. So I do think that we, instead of focus on these key levels near term, we think about more the posture of the indicators that are trying to understand momentum and also trend exhaustion. And right now, the momentum, as you'd imagine, is still very much to the downside, intermediate term, long term. It's actually improving short term. I know it's hard to feel that with this day-to-day volatility, but the short term momentum gauges are improving modestly here. And that suggests we'll get a little stabilization, some relief perhaps before we see the next breakdown. Uh, my stat, you, you'll know the stats, I'm sure, Katie. I don't, but uh, but you know the direction I'm going in, which is like we went like a year or two without a 2% move right? or something like that. The markets were bizarrely calm, just kind of grinding higher two-tenths of a percent every single day. Now we're having one and a half to 2% moves, you know, multiple times per week. W- what's changed? What's happened? I think it's just characteristic of a downtrending market. That's when you tend to see volatility pick up. It's just sort of the norm. We're in this obviously high volatility cycle or regime, and you can see that in measures like the volatility index or VIX. And it's just a much more difficult environment for traders, especially because if you're trying to this market short term, you can easily get whipped one way or the other. So it really makes for a challenging environment in which It's very, very difficult to make money, especially on the upside, because you're sort of counter trend trading these moves. So we just have been recommending folks are reduced in their overall exposure using hedging strategies, of course, and generally speaking, using any relief rallies as they come to reduce exposure to existing long positions. We still like the core UOB exposure, but sort of being around that to manage risk and of course, keeping very tight stop losses on any sort of trading-oriented positions. You know, energy, of course, I talk a lot about energy. Katie, been following it. It's not, and I've said energy is not an energy story. It's an everything story. Energy is literally just pretty much everything. It's going to be really interesting to see if some of these sort of semi-ESG buyers start to find a way to come back into energy because I'm not a technician, but I know enough to look. The charts look pretty good, especially relatively. Are you optimistic on energy? Well, I mean, it's really the only sector that's in the green year to date. And when I say that, I mean, it's really in the green. It's up like 50% if you look at the S&P 500 sector indices. And in a way, that gives me some pause because you might feel like it's overextended. And yet when you look at the trends there, they still have momentum behind them. Our TAC ETF has a position in energy and otherwise leans very defensive. So to me, that exposure, hey, listen, for anything working in this side, and it's definitely a place that is working. And as soon as we see some kind of downtick in momentum, then we'll be reactive to that. Katie Stockton, Fairlead Strategies, energy looking good. The rest of the market may be grinding lower over the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, Katie, we appreciate it. Thanks for your candor. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm going to be off the show for a couple days, flying out to the Midwest. we got a great special for you Thursday night at 6 p.m. We're talking about inflation. We'll be right in the heartland of America. But Worldwide Exchange will be on tomorrow morning with Frank, and you got Dom and everybody. It's an important time, so we'll see you there. I'll see you in a couple of days. Squawk Box is right after this. Have a great day.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.